Sin, and today I am joined by an awesome guest. We have Gwen Frey, experienced developer with a huge track record in some very high profile projects. Gwen, thank you so much for joining Player One. It is such a pleasure. It's good to be here. This sounds fun. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to have you here. I firstly thank you for getting up at the crack of dawn to be with us. Uh, time zone are very uh, are very much a pain so for context this is like eight o'clock in the morning for you <laughs> yeah almost 8 a.m yeah it's 7 45 that's okay i've been up for a couple hours there's some nights i just don't sleep well i don't know why but um <laughs> yeah it's more like, it's cool at... that we can talk from the opposite sides of the world this is like oh, every now and then modern technology just blows me away well, whereabouts are you I'm, oh, so you're from the states obviously or uh, canada but um, whereabouts are you? Oh, I'm a local in Boston. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. So I guess we'll start off with um, currently right now, you guys are working on a game called Lab Rats, which is uh, a fun little Rat, unique yeah. game, which reminds me almost of like Pinky in the Brain with the whole setting. Um, I guess for our listeners who may not necessarily know what Lab Rats is, would you like to sort of elaborate on it? Sure, I'll do the best I can. So Labrat is a narrative puzzle game. It tells the story of, um, how do I put it? So in Labrat, there's this, the, the story is that there's this machine learning algorithm that is trying to create entertainment for people. Uh, and it's trying to create a puzzle game to, to entertain you. And so what you do is you complete puzzles for this machine learning algorithm and you give feedback in the form of polls and different things like this. And over time, this, uh, algorithm comes to just darker and more hilarious and absurd conclusions about humanity based on on what you do in your performance. And the, the way the narrative progresses is, um, like I said, you have to complete these sort of polls and, and give feedback to this, uh, this kind of well-intentioned AI. Um, and a lot of the, as you do that, you can see how other people have responded. So it, you can, all the data that's being used to progress the narrative is real data. The, the polls are actually happening. Um, you can actually see as you're playing how many other people have completed the same puzzle you have, for instance, uh, or how many, who is, you can see the gamer tags of other people who are currently on the same puzzle you are. So it's an experience, it's very, very much a single player experience and it's very much you're, ex you're exploring a narrative as a single player, but you have a sense that you're part of a world and you have a sense that there's other people out there um, and this is kind of, this is just parallel to the way I've been feeling this year. The, uh, everybody is kind of uh, alone doing our own thing, but experiencing everyone else through this filter of the internet. We're all experienced. We know other people are out there. We're interacting with other people through uh, social media and so forth. And as we do so, we're being profiled and judged. And I, I just wanted to poke fun at that. The narrative is to poke fun at that experience. Um, and to, to just kind of make something satirical about it. A very self-aware experience about the world we live in today. I suppose, it, yeah. 
I mean, the goal is to be, it is a funny game. It's supposed to be reminiscent mm. of games like Portal and, and other games that sort of are challenging puzzle games, but make you laugh. I, I think there is, the world just needs more laughter right now. And I think it's better to, to make fun of the situation we're in than, you know, sit around and be sad about it. Oh, absolutely, 100%. I feel like this year there has been a lack of full-on comedy games and, and games that will give us a great laugh. Um, what is your role in this game? So I'm the primary developer. Uh, I'm the only person working in the game full-time. Um, this was a, a game... Yep. I started as a game jam with one other developer who's been working on it part-time. Uh, so I do all the programming. I, I do... Um, I did the first pass of the art. I have an artist that I, I work with that textures things and helps to uprest things. Um, and he works primarily in the backgrounds. Uh, but it's largely my work. I do the VO, for instance. I do, um, I have a writer that I collaborate with and we kind of work together on the writing. But it's, I, I don't know what to say. I'm the, it's easier to define the things I don't do because <laughs> it is mostly my project. Hmm. And obviously with COVID basically placing the world in bricks, how, what have been the challenges in your role, possibly having to adjust from, you know, if you're working at home or um, having to do conference calls every day from home, what have been some of the biggest challenges as a game developer um, in this global pandemic? You know, it's weird. I was extremely well set up for this. My goal was, I, my, my right. last game was, I was the primary developer on, and that game was, um, took a lot out of me. That game was called Kine. It was also a narrative puzzle game. Um, it launched on all the platforms at, in October of last year. Uh, I loved working on it. I was the primary developer. Everyone I worked with was remote. Um, and so I, I kind of had a template for how to make a game. And my plan was to take the profit I made on Kine and, and found a, a brick and mortar studio and grow the studio and make something bigger, like a larger tactical game. But when COVID hit, I just kind of, said, well, I guess I'll put that on pause and make another puzzle game. And I'm so well set up for that because I already have the contacts. I just did this one time and working from home, like the, being sad, working from home and, and this stuff, this life I was kind of hoping to escape. Uh, I haven't escaped it. So that part sucks. But on the other hand, <laughs> I am, you know, like I've, I've done this once. So it, hmm. uh, I, I was in a weirdly good position to just do it again. It was not necessarily the biggest adjustment from from your perspective. Correct. Everyone I work with is remote from different corners of the world. Uh, and I'm used to, I have an office at home that I work from. And have you found yourself potentially, in, in some ways, do you find it more productive working from home rather than being in an office or being in um, a studio located elsewhere? Well, that really depends. I've done all of these, right? Like I've worked at large studios. I was at, um, I was on Bioshock Infinite. We had like 150 to 200 people there. Uh, and I would go in every day. I worked at a smaller indie studio that was six of us where again, we would go in each day, but we generally worked from home on Wednesdays, for instance. Mm. Um, I, I don't, it's hard to say what makes you more productive. It definitely helps that I don't have kids. And so working from home is not instantly less productive. <laughs> I don't have a lot of the distractions that some people who work from home have. Um, I, it is beneficial to not lose the time commuting, for instance. So in that way, you're more productive there. Um, 
there are, depending on what you're doing, it can be very beneficial to be working in an office, especially when you're doing something collaborative. A lot of what I'm doing because I'm the, yeah. the primary developer is not as collaborative and I can do a lot of it on video calls and that sort of thing. So yes, there, there's just, um, how do I put it? There's a natural efficiency that comes from being um, the, the creative director, being the one that does a lot of the programming, a lot of the heavy lifting. There's just a certain amount of when you work with other people, you have to explain what you want and, and explain why you want things the way they do, the way you do. And, and you have to, um, when you're a designer on a large team, your job is to campaign for the design, listen to people, make sure everybody feels heard, make sure everybody understands why things are the way they are. Whereas if you're the one that's on a very small team, uh, just implementing your design, you just remove all of that work. And so in a way, being in a small team is extremely efficient, but it also means you can't accomplish as much. I can't make, you know, outer worlds, for instance, as a, with a team that I have that's completely distributed, that's tiny. Um, so, so all these things go together is why I'm bringing it up. If you have... Uh, if you want to make a larger project, then you need more people and if you, and you need to work closely with other people and you need to make sure that you're in communication with them so that they understand uh, what you're working towards. So you're all rowing towards the same goal. You know what I mean? Um, and that yeah. for that, it's very beneficial to be in a studio together. For the what I'm doing right now where I'm a solo, well, not I'm not a solo dev. I'm working very closely with several people, including like a designer that's doing all the puzzles. But in spite of that... Uh, I don't have to explain what I'm, <laughs> I don't have to justify anything I do. I just decide to do it and then I do it. And I, um, and the designer I work with for the puzzles mostly understands the writer's really cool about it. We, we riff on each other's ideas and stuff, but that lack of needing to um, explain things and so forth, the lack of need for close collaboration means that it's very easy to work from home. And therefore, yes, it's, uh, it's, how do I put it? I don't know if I would say it's more productive. At, the, at that point, it just becomes a different problem space. Like at that point, it's just personal. Yeah. If you are, do are you personally, uh, is your home office a place where you have an easy time focusing or is it loud and noisy or uh, do you have kids and they distract you? Like at, at that point, the the it just becomes very much about the space and so all the other considerations about needing to go into the office so you can collaborate with other people that's less of a consideration when you're a very very small team i am always very interested especially within this year of how different um developers and publishers are really trying to sort of figure out how to work within COVID, and it's all and it is good to hear that you yourself there hasn't been too much of an effect in terms of work. You guys have been able to really be both productive and really continuing to be very proactive in the game's development and everything seems to be going along very smoothly, which is something that we like to hear in 2020. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I did have a dream of being a larger studio at this point, so that's a bit of a bummer, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose some people are going to be lucky in this mm. instance. A lot of the, the problems people are explaining, the depression, working from home, constantly doom scrolling Twitter and so forth. This is all stuff I, I relate to very strongly and I experienced very strongly when I started working from home a couple of years ago. 
Um, and it was something at the time I had difficulty explaining to people. Like, uh, so it's kind of, I, I, I'm in a position where I'm watching other people go through something I went through a couple of years ago and I do, it does get better. Uh, you do need to find a routine. You do need to get, um, I don't know how to explain it. A large part of getting through this is finding a routine and understanding you'll learn stuff about yourself when you're isolated a lot like this. Um, you'll start to take your friendships a lot more seriously. You'll start to understand the need for those casual mm. moments where you go out and to the bar or, or wherever you go and, and just communicate with other human beings. Uh, you'll start to understand that you can't really replace that with video calls. And I think mm. you'll start to feel it once you reach a point where you have a video call with your friends because you're, you know, maybe you're gaming together or whatever, or you're, you've established one of those, like every Saturday at brunch, I get together with people and I have a video call and that call will hang up and then you'll suddenly feel this great kind of fatigue uh, that you won't really register as sadness, but it is. Uh, people aren't meant to live this way. Um, I guess it's the, the takeaway. The mental cost is, the mental cost is very significant because I'll say from context here in Melbourne, um, we're currently under uh, stage four restrictions. So a lot of pretty much everything is closed. Um, you can't see really anyone, um, singles who are allowed to have one friend over mm -hmm. and that friend has to not live with anyone else. So it's very difficult to even have that human interaction unless say you're with your partner, for example, yeah. but definitely the mental toll is something that people are very much struggling with. And hearing your point of view saying that, you know, obviously at, it, it does get, it gets worse before it gets better. It does. Um, and a lot of part of getting better is finding ways to cope. I honestly don't know how I would handle being single in this situation as far as like trying to find a way to date somebody. <laughs> like that <laughs> sounds really difficult. I, I can't imagine what it's like to be completely isolated and alone right now. I like it, it's mind blowing. And I know a lot of people who are struggling, um, who have kids, for instance, and just the, in America, at least the, the social safety net of, of sending your kid to school so that you can go do your job is gone. Mm, um, it's same here pretty much. Yeah, and that's the fatigue that comes from constantly just never being allowed to be turned off, to turn off. I, it's, it's a very painful time right now for a lot of people, and I feel it very deeply. Uh, it's why I'm trying to make a game that's funny and lighthearted and, and <laughs> about technology and poking fun at this stuff. Um, because it, it's, you'll go on these social media platforms, uh, Twitch and stuff like this, the dark reality is it's, just not a replacement and for some people will feel it more than others and personal some people are um maybe the kinds of people that are drawn to twitch how do i put it the relationships you have with like a streamer is a relationship where you feel very very close to them you feel like you're hanging out you feel like you're their friend but in reality they have no idea who you are and every now and then that that's you have those moments where you realize that you don't know anybody, that nobody knows you. I, I don't know how to describe it. There's ebbs and flows to this sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I've, I've personally been in a lockdown before where I was just like stuck inside for a winter <laughs> with nothing but the internet uh, on a really bad Boston winter where I didn't know anybody and I worked from home. 
uh, and I was single and it was pro like a deeply unpleasant experience. And I'm watching this occur around the world to a minor degree and I just see it. Uh, and yeah, it, it sucks. You just got to get through this and the way you get through it is at this point, just understanding that this is a moment in time and that this moment ends one way or another, it ends like it's not going to go on forever. Even if the coronavirus goes on forever, this, us figuring out how to cope with this as a society and, and getting back to a place where we have personal relationships with each other, that, that we will figure out. We just will. You just got to hang in there until we do. Mm. Through whatever shithole situation you're in right now, because I'm sure whatever you're dealing with right now is way worse than it would have been if this virus wasn't happening. <laughs> oh, but it will without end. question, yeah. <laughs> like, here, so for context, back in early July, um, we had reached up to like maybe 700 cases a day. So we got um, full on lockdown. And so for six weeks, it was complete, well, mostly complete shutdown, food places, some food places were open. And then an additional two weeks has been added so that, um, yes, this is happening. And then after that, they're going to try and slowly, slowly bring to what is being called a COVID normal life mm -hmm. in that sense. So yeah, for a lot of people, that alone, and we see it like every so often, I see it whenever I scroll social media or even just on the news, we hear a lot of the people, like people really struggling mentally. And mm -hmm. yeah, like it, the internet and scrolling through social media isn't going to help. So try to find, yeah, try to find that routine, try to keep I'm everything somewhat I'm sensitive yeah. to it too because I know you can tell somebody hey stop scrolling Twitter and then they'll turn that off and they'll sit there and they'll be like what do I do and hmm. it's hard right and there's a moment where you feel like nothing we're there's a moment where you feel like absolutely nothing else is fun and fun is over <laughs> and I don't know how to describe <laughs> this feeling and not everybody will feel it but a lot of people hmm. will everyone will have well a lot of people will hit that wall or you realize there's nothing worse in the world than boredom and you cannot, and Twitter will solve your boredom, but it's not, it's better to sit there and be bored. And that's a really hard thing to deal with. You find creativity. You find yourself when you're bored, when you hmm. just sit there and just do nothing for a period of time. This is weirdly psychological. I don't know how you got into this. I was definitely talking about my game before, but it, it's, I, you know, nobody's asked me about the coronavirus stuff. And it's weird because I do have very strong, like, because I have been through this and I, I know uh, in a different sort of a way. And I, I just know how hard it is and how hard it can be, especially for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Hmm. Well, we'll, go, we'll move back towards the, the industry, the gaming industry as a whole. But um, yeah, I'm a little more knowledgeable in that area, I suppose. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, and especially when I like once I did more research into your career, um, over the past like year, two years, maybe five, we've seen a lot of issues in regards to de treatment of developers, whether it be crunch, whether it be harassment, especially within the past several months. Um, what has been, from, from someone who has an eye in the industry and someone who has worked 
in a company like uh, 2K and worked on Bioshock, I don't know. I don't know the best way to, to even say it, but like, how is this, like, how, how does this impact you in such a way? And what are you hoping to see with um, people speaking out against harassment and crunch and the worker mistreatment? I mean, I, I think these issues coming forward are, are good. <laughs> I don't actually have any really strong hot take on this, to be honest. I've been very fortunate in my career that I've, the gentlemen I've worked with have all been extremely um, respectful. I've, I've very lucky with the, the people I happen to have worked with. Um, the team on Bioshock Infinite, we actually had, um, I, I don't know, like it, I've just, I've personally been very lucky, but I've also personally heard the stories and seen the things. And, and yes, there is like, there is a certain amount of sexism in the world and there's a certain amount of bullshit in the world. And there's certainly more, our industry is a bit weird and we've got some, uh, <laughs> we've got some divergent personalities. We have a lot of really awkward people in this industry and we've got some predators too. And it's really hard to separate out like the people, God, there's, this is a complicated conversation that has a lot of nuance to it. And it's not something that, uh, it's the kind of thing where if you talk about it at all, you're just only going to get in trouble from everybody. You know what I mean? Obviously go, go about it in a way that you're comfortable with and what you feel comfortable with, you know, uh, telling, obviously. Sure. I, I mean, I can say from my personal experience, I've been very lucky and there's no other ex industry I want to work in. I've always loved this industry from the first time I made a video game back in college. I've loved it. I, this is the only thing I like, I, somebody asked me once, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? And I just kind of like, it was like it's a white <laughs> static in my brain. I was just like, what? <laughs> it's a, like, it never occurred to me. I will do this until I die. I just, <laughs> you know, like there's just nothing else. I'll move around within the hmm. industry. I get bored. I'll try different genres. I'll try different jobs, sure. But no, I, I adore this industry. I, I, I can't do anything else. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think these issues, it's important that people speak out. I guess if you want me to say some stuff about it, when I first, back in my 20s, how do I put it? I'm surprised people don't ask me about the experience of being a woman in the industry more. I guess I've been very lucky because I've never really had a great hot take, but I will say I have avoided it a lot in the past. And I think it's because when I was younger, like back in my 20s, I had the, uh, like maybe seven or eight years ago, for instance, when a lot of the, the women in the games industry stuff started, I was asked, I would get asked things and I repeatedly felt like I fucked up. Like, I had a moment where somebody from Ubisoft, a hiring manager from Ubisoft came to me at GDC and she, uh, she asked me, she said she was trying to increase the number of women at this specific Ubisoft studio. And um, she outlined her plan to do so. And it was like, we're gonna have breast pump rooms where women can like breast, uh, you know, pump milk and, and things of this nature. And I remember I was like 24 and I just flew off the handle at her. I was just like, is that what you think women are? You think women are just, you know, you think all we want to do is have babies? None of the women I know in the industry have babies. None of us. This is ridiculous. 
And I look back now and I'm so ashamed that I said that because she was right, because she instituted those policies and she increased the number of women in this, at her studio. And obviously none of the women in the games industry had babies because if you did, you probably couldn't work in the games industry. Like there's a certain sort of reality where if you are somebody who has, if you are a woman that has succeeded in the games industry and I have, and I've in fact kind of thrived, like I kind of love Silicon Valley culture. If you happen to fit, if you happen to be me, I'm the exact wrong person to ask for advice because I'm one of the people that's surviving. If you want to find one of the, like what you should do for women, you should probably find the women that aren't thriving in the industry of which they are the majority. You should probably talk to them. And so it becomes a really weird situation where uh, early on, especially, I, I didn't really understand what I was saying. And so I just decided to shut the hell up for for good reason because like if as a because i am a woman if i say something it is given a certain amount of weight and the reality is i don't know <laughs> i'm not qualified to speak for women you know i'm one of the few that actually loves it here i kind of a little bit enjoy crunch quite a bit like i i don't i'm not a good person to give my opinion you know what i mean uh and so my personal experience has been very, uh, uh, has been mostly early on, I realized the right thing to do is to kind of like listen. Um, and that sounds kind of crazy coming from, from somebody who should theoretically be marginalized, but it's, that actually is more dangerous because I can actually cause more harm than good. But obviously, as you said, you've experienced more good than bad working in the industry. So you're, you know, your experiences shape, in some way, shape your opinions. Absolutely, sure. And your personality and everything else, right? Hmm. Like, um, but yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate. Uh, I've only ever worked with, with gentlemen. My experience in the, with, I mean, sure, there's been sexism in the games industry, but I think I'm more, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's different personality types that deal with things differently. And so it hasn't really been an issue for me so much. Like I don't have that much trouble being taken seriously. And if I do, I leave and I go somewhere where I'm not. And I do, I'm not kidding when I said I kind of like a little bit enjoyed crunch, especially when I was younger. I'm, I'm getting better. I should have hobbies now. Uh, and I definitely have never ever um, expected anyone who works for me to, to put in overtime or anything like that. Uh, hmm. And crunch is bad. Like all of these qualifiers exist. I probably shouldn't even admit like out loud that I, there are moments in game development where you've had a plan for years. Like you've planned a thing and it's coming together. And all of a sudden you're a couple months from ship and this is it. And you either make this work or you don't. And you don't have time to hire someone and explain to them what you've been thinking about for two years. And so you just, you just sit down and you do it. Uh, and that sounds and I will put myself in, I will impose that sort of uh, probably overwork to, <laughs> to a certain degree on myself at times, both in my personal work and in AAA, I've done this. It is something I personally struggle with. Uh, so yeah, I, the, these topics are, are very heavy topics and they're very polarizing and they're, they're things that involve a lot of nuance and there is no universal experience. There is no like, women are half of people. Like half of the planet is women. There is no, you're not going to get all of women to agree on exactly 
what the problems are with women in the games industry. You're not going to get all the women in the industry to agree with the problems in the games industry. And you're not going to get everybody in the games industry to agree to exactly how they should work or how much or that sort of thing. Um, obviously though, that like on a whole, on the whole, you know, crunch is bad. Sexism is bad. These indi- these issues that are being brought up needed to be brought up in some places. They're far worse and uh, they need to be taken seriously. Oh, without question. And I'm, I'm in some ways, your response has definitely in some ways surprised me because obviously once again, it's shaped by your experiences. You have experienced a lot of good, but mm-hmm. you, in that way, the way you responded to, Hey, we've got to do this. It's go hard or we have to go home. Like there's no turning back. I oh, was very, that- that was referring to the work, like, because you yeah, brought two yeah, things yeah. there. That's what yeah, I mean. yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Definitely, when, when that, like, I was, I was kind of surprised, because obviously there, there are those days where you're, you probably may be putting in, like, upwards of 10 hours a day to get this done. And I'm very, uh, in some ways, I'm very, I'm very surprised in a sense, but you are both a very, very determined and very like goal focused person in that sense um yeah but then i i mean i would not advocate for working the way i do like i tend to work really hard and then and then burn out and then spend some time dealing with that uh again this is not a good thing (laughs) like this is a thing that i do uh it's a way that i work that maybe i shouldn't uh and Mm. it's not like i and again i don't I don't encourage it and I don't think people around me necessarily do so. One of my favorite animators to work with at Irrational, no matter how close we were, no matter how much work we had to do, he was there for his kids uh, in the morning and he left right at time, like he did not work more than eight hours. He went home, he spent his time with his kids and he put his kids to bed and I respect the hell out of him. Um, hmm. Pete Paquette, he's a, um, like he, he's just a person, he's like basically my life coach. <laughs> I, I respect the hell out of him. Uh, I mean, different people are different and work in different ways. And I can, I definitely understand, like, I totally understand there's places where you'll be pressured to do this sort of thing and you shouldn't be. Um, And I totally understand that not everybody can stand up for their time in the same way Pete did. Uh, It's, uh, it's an important conversation that needs to to happen. Mm. And it, yep, you bring up the point that every worker and every person and how they work is very unique. Mm. Some people handle things very differently to others. People are very, they're very like determined to, you know, they'll work their eight hours and spend time with their kids or some are like, okay, yep, I'm willing to do X amount of overtime. That doesn't necessarily bother me too much, but obviously it depends on circumstances. It depends on just their life in general. Yeah. And, and I mean, you have to keep in mind, like, in the ideal world, everybody would work exactly how they want to, right? Yeah. Uh, in the ideal world, if you wanted to work um, six hours a day, but every day and don't take weekends, that's fine. And if you want to work, um, some people want to work like 10 hours a day for four days straight and then have three days off. And some people want to work more and get paid more. And some people want to work less and get paid less. And ideally, we would all find a way to work to work it out. Um, and if you're indie, you can be really flexible, especially everybody working from home remotely. Uh, Hmm. it's one of the reasons why I like this. Everybody, we can figure out 
I'll work with anybody if if they bring to me it's more about the perspective that they bring to the table and their their work and how much I, I like what they do um, rather than necessarily the quantity of time or the quantity of work that they do that to me that that matters way more uh, so when I choose people to collaborate with for my projects and stuff that this I, I don't work for I don't look for people who necessarily put their you know their nose to the grindstone and stuff but that being said in AAA the pressure is there because like I said before if you're making a larger project a project where uh, you have to collaborate with a lot of people to get it done then it's necessary to be in the office at the same time and then then there's a lot of peer pressure to to kind of congeal around one sort of way of working and different studios will congeal around different things so you can work at a studio where they'll actually pressure you to leave it at five o'clock every day um because and, and that sounds like good unless you're you know young and 20 and you can't but like you just can't wake up and you don't want to go into work until noon and some people for some people that's actually like a thing i've uh some people enjoy I, i'm bringing up let me think of a good example I think the Sims team is a great example of like a studio, even back from the very beginning that from what I understand, pretty much always worked nine to five uh, because everybody had like, you know, lives and kids and stuff. And they were adults about things. And a lot of Silicon Valley doesn't necessarily uh, adhere to the, to the standard nine to five schedule in my experience. Uh, back when I lived, I used to live in San Francisco and work at MMOs out there, by the way, before Bioshock Infinite. That's the experience that I'm speaking to at the moment. Um, but yeah, uh, different studios will pressure you to work in different in different hours. I've actually never worked at a studio with, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I haven't, there is crunch that is just abhorrent, that is just unacceptable, uh, that is never ending for instance most of the time what I described before where I wouldn't okay there's no such thing as a healthy crunch but I find that if you're coming up against a deadline and you want to get your work done because it's important to you that say you're showing this demo at E3 and it's in three weeks working your ass off for three weeks to me that's just something I would do uh, nobody would have to tell me to do it I would just do it because I want my work to look really good but the key thing there is that there is an end and that you have a goal and places where you don't have an end and a goal those are the stories that i hear that make me scared places where they're like where some executive comes in and says hey you just work we're just giving you free dinner and free breakfast and free lunch and you're just going to work um and we're going to launch sometime next year that's when you fucking run like that's not good that you don't make good work under those conditions in my experience yeah and would you say that the I guess in the world where we live in free to play games that are games that are constantly updating and and need updates, do you mm -hmm. find that those those sorts of games and those sorts of studios are the ones that are like I guess more susceptible to crunch? I don't um it's hard for me to say, but I don't think that's necessarily yeah. the case. I think crunch happens more often those the the case for a free-to-play studio with a lot of updates that like uh what you're describing um generally you have a plan for that yeah. if you find yourself in a situation where people are crunching forever because of it's an ongoing content situation you've probably had a runaway unexpected hit uh and that does happen 
and I'm not going to like name names of studios and games, but every now and then there's a <laughs> fucking blowout hit. And then no more. I think we know which, exactly which ones. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's been a handful. And those Not are the ones particular. where, those are the ones where they'll probably pay you extremely well and try to hire really quickly, but that'll have its own problems. Like there, yeah. there's, a, I mean, it's a beautiful problem to be too successful, but every now and then you're too <laughs> successful and then you've got to figure out how to hire people. And those first couple hires are uh, hiring under duress results in often more problems than you would expect. Uh, onboarding people is not easy. There come, there hits a point in when you're working on something where you just know how to do it and you doing it will take X amount of time and you explaining to someone else how to do it and having them do it will take twice as long. And yeah, if you take twice as long and you explain to someone else and you walk them through it, you get them to a place where they can do this job with you. That'll take a while. Um, and then afterwards it'll lighten your load, but it's really hard to do that upfront work to train someone else when you're under the gun and when you've got a deadline coming up like imminently, this is a situation that you find yourself in sometimes. And when you're on an ongoing project like that, I think it's actually more clear. Like if you're working on a game where there's going to be updates, you're like, Oh, well shit, I need to spend the time to train somebody or I'm going to be in this hell forever. Whereas it's actually harder if you're on a game that's shipping to convince yourself that you need to take that time to do that. It's harder to convince yourself to do a lot of things on a, on a game that, that has an end date. Like it's harder to convince yourself that you should make tools. Cause you're always like, well, this is probably, I'm going to do this one or two more times. I don't need to make a tool for it. You know? Um, whereas if you're on a game that's like a, a, has a constant cycle that you're constantly updating, it's a lot easier to realize, oh, I need to make a tool. Oh, I need to hire somebody and to replace, to, to take some work off of this because this is going to go on in perpetuity. Um, and so I'm not sure I necessarily agree that you see these problems more at, at studios that are uh, perhaps have ongoing content forever. No, that's definitely fair. And frankly, out of all people, we should be listening to you, not to, not to me, because you have that experience. You have all that knowledge. But um, as we start to wind down and going back to Lab Rats, um, you guys have, um, guys have a beta and that is currently open. It's a closed beta and it's, closed um, beta, sorry, yes. of course, I do encourage you to sign up, sign up for Labrat. I would greatly appreciate it. It's the project I'm currently working on too much. Uh, I'm sure this conversation <laughs> about uh, <laughs> the coronavirus and other glum <laughs> topics, I, in spite of this, it is actually a funny game. I swear to you. Um, but you can <laughs> sign up for free at labrat.study or if you search for Labrat on Steam and wishlist it, that would mean the world to me. Um, and, I would greatly and currently, if you've it. if you've signed up for the closed beta, you have the opportunity to play it now. You do not. No, I'm going to open. Okay, it. I'm no. going to start rolling it out to because there are quite a number of people that signed up. I'm going to start rolling it out. Oh, to fantastic! In about two months, I'm going to start. I'm going to do the first push, and then there'll be further pushes from now up until launch. I'll be launching sometime early next year. Oh, fantastic! And obviously, with a with a beta, there's always that nerve. There are always the nerves of like. How are the people going to react to the game? Of course, yeah. Well, we'll how are you guys? How are you guys feeling about it all? Oh, I'm excited. I <laughs> look. This is a moment when the world needs to laugh, and I'm excited to bring something that that it can possibly bring joy to people right now. I'm excited to to share this game with people. I'm very, very, very excited. Um, it's tempting to do it too early, but I do have to finish up the beta first, and then we'll we'll get people in, and depending on how people respond, we'll keep updating it until uh, until it's absolutely perfect and then we'll launch it 
No, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, definitely go check that out. Is there any sort of social media for lab rats that we can chuck yes. up? You can follow me on Twitter at Dire Goldfish. It's like Dire Wolf, but it's a goldfish, so it's probably not going to hurt you. It's like you. goldfish, but dire. Exactly. <laughs> no, I love that. And so, yeah, definitely go check out Lab Rats. It's sign up for it. I guarantee you guys are going to have a laugh. Like, it's going to be great. But, Gwen, thank you so much for jumping onto Player One and just having, frankly, a, an open discussion with us. It really, We really appreciate that. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to regret it, but this did actually feel really good to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. We, we really appreciate you being open and honest and, you know, being comfortable to talk about that because I know some people aren't. Yeah, I, I, and that's honestly fine. I wasn't for a really long time. I mean, we're in a time right now where having an opinion is only a liability <laughs> about anything. Uh, oh. and it's just very... Um, there's a lot of, it's part of being on the internet too much. There's just a lot of rage on the internet. Mm. Um, a lot let's, of jerks. Fill that, let's fill that internet with a bunch of happiness and a bunch of joy. So I play lab rats and talk about it. <laughs> that would be great. But um, once again, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Obviously, um, early in the morning, you, you're <laughs> going to completely crash and just have some fun. Let's, let's see. I'm excited for Lab Rats. Thank you very much. Thank you. And if you want to check out any other Player One content, go check us out in the podcast realm at the Google Podcasts, the Apple Podcasts, the Spotify's, the Omni, the Stitches. And go check us out on the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagrams at Player One Sin. I have been executive producer Connor, and we will catch you next time on Player One.